do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, that is what I do. We talked about this last week, and and Paul is really struggling. He's wrestling as he's writing to the uh, church in Rome, and he's saying, look, you know, all the things that I want to do, those are the things that I actually, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I I really do. And so he, he wrestles with this. And I think we do too. I think we do too. We wrestle with doing what is right. And so this morning, uh, I just want to shift gears for just a little bit. Uh, and I want to do something a little odd, because that's what I do. Uh, last week, Gracie had a birthday. And so what she got for her birthday was we got her a book on how to draw. And if you know Gracie, she loves art. She loves creating things. Um, the, the, the nicest thing that you could give her is a cardboard box and she will turn it into some little playland. And so I've asked her if she wouldn't mind, she also got a sketchbook. And so I asked her this week, I said, Hey, will you draw some sketches this week? And I want you to show me what you've drawn. So right now, if it's okay with you, she's going to do just that. So Gracie, why don't you bring your sketchbook up here? guys don't mind if you'll just give me a moment Where were we? Um, you know what? Um, time 
is a blessing that is bestowed upon us and it is a curse that we just can't avoid. Our lives and this world literally revolves around the idea of time. We measure it, we desire it, and in some cases we actually loathe it. We ask it to speed up on Monday mornings and we ask it to crawl as we enter into our Saturdays. We wish for it in our youth and we beg for it to stand still in our old age. Think about what time plays in our lives. We wear watches, we buy calendars, we celebrate birthdays based on the amount of time between each one. We use time when we're cooking food, when we're taking tests, when we're running laps. We rate doctor's offices and restaurants and online stores on how long we sit, how quickly we are seated, and how fast the package arrives. Isn't that interesting that when we think about a doctor's office, it's a good doctor's office if we don't sit for very long. But when we think about a restaurant, it's a good restaurant if they seat us really fast. Like we can't decide what we really want. Even now, at this moment, there's an internal clock that is ticking in your head. In just a few minutes, some of you a little longer and some of you a little shorter, you're going to have an alarm that goes off that says to yourself that the sermon should be over, the worship should end, and you've got to hurry to Jalisco's so you can wait to get your food. That's what time does with us. And of all the ways that Satan tries to tempt us, using time is absolutely his greatest weapon. Think about this. When you are enjoying life, he, he lures you into believing that you have time for one more video or one more drink or one more page or one more conversation or one more piece of cake. Just hang around a little bit longer. In fact, we've all cried out when the alarm goes off in the morning. What do we say? Just five more minutes. If we could just have five more minutes, right? But when God is allowing us to be formed through difficult times, Satan convinces us that God has been gone for too long. And we cry out like the psalmist, Oh Lord, how much longer do I have to wait? If we're in bed, we beg for time to stop. But if we're going through difficulty, we get mad that God doesn't speed up the time for us. Now, my, my most favorite book by C.S. Lewis is called The Screwtape Letters. And C.S. Lewis has written so many different books. If you grew up as a, a child reading, then you probably most likely read The Chronicles of Narnia. Those are really good books. But The Screwtape Letters is so fantastic. And C.S. Lewis is a genius. So let me give you just kind of the premise of this. If you haven't already ordered this book and started reading it, I want to encourage you to do that. If not, come find me. I'll get you a copy of it. But let me just give you the premise. Screwtape is the name of a demon. He's like a head demon. 
he has his nephew Wormwood, who is a basically what I'll call a demon in training. And Wormwood has been assigned what they call a, a patient. And that's who Wormwood is trying to attack, trying to lure, trying to, to tempt. Okay? And so this screw tape letters are 31 different letters written by screw tape to his nephew Wormwood. And in this, he, he tries to uh, encourage him or uh, rebuke him or help him as he tries to tempt this patient away. So, as you can imagine, if Screwtape and Wormwood are both demons, then when they refer to the enemy, that means that it's God. So, we don't ever hear what Wormwood says. We only hear the one side of the conversation. And that's another way that C.S. Lewis is brilliant in writing this. It is truthful, it is humorous, it's spiritual, and it is absolutely worth reading. Or, if you want to, you can listen to it on Audible just the same. But it's a fantastic book. But I want to get to one part in uh, chapter 28, okay? And to give you just a, a little bit more of a framework of what's going on, the, the patient in which Wormwood has been assigned is a young man who grew up in England during World War II. Okay, and so all this time, the previous 27 letters, uh, Screwtape is trying to say, here's how you tempt him, here's how you trick him, here's how you distract him. And so we get to chapter 28, and I want to read some excerpts from this, uh, if we have time. If not, you know, it's okay. I mean, you can, you can always get up and leave. Uh, please don't do that, though. That would be awkward for all of us. Okay, so here we go. So remember, this is screw tape. He's writing to his nephew, and he says, You tell me with glee that there is reason to expect heavy raids on the town where the creature lives. Okay, so obviously Wormwood has written, he says, Hey, good news. There's bombings. And my patient might die. And this is how Screwtape is responding to his nephew. He says, do you not know that bombs kill men? Or do you not realize that the patient's death at this moment is what we precisely want to avoid? He has escaped worldly friends with whom you tried to entangle him. He has fallen in love with a Christian woman and is temporarily immune from your attacks on his integrity. And the various methods of corrupting his spiritual life, which you have been trying to do, are thus far unsuccessful. He will almost certainly be lost to us if he is killed tonight. This is so obvious that I'm ashamed to write it. So right here, Wormwood is saying, hey, great news. He could die. And Screwtape says, you knucklehead. We don't want him to die. Because you have tried to entice him. You have tried to lure him in. And now, none of it's working. If he dies, he goes with the enemy. And the enemy is God. Right? So listen to this. This, this is great. He says, humans tend to regard death as the prime evil and survival as the greatest good. I want to read that again. Listen to this. Humans tend to regard death as the prime evil and survival as the greatest good. 
He's saying that we think the best thing that could happen is to live as long as we possibly can. And the worst thing that could happen is that we could die. Do we believe that? Do we, do we pray that sometimes? Have we found ourselves praying that if we could have just a little more time, that the worst thing that could happen is that our bodies give out? He says, listen to this. They believe that death is primeval and survival is the greatest good because we, the demons, have taught them to do so. Do not let us be infected by our own propaganda. I know that it seems strange that your chief aim at the moment should be the very same for which the patient's wife and mother are praying for, namely his bodily safe, but so it is. You should be guarding him like the apple of your eye. If he dies now, you lose him. If he survives the war, there's always hope. And so again, Screwtape Tape is saying, hey, I know this is weird because mom and wife are praying for his safety, but you need him to be safe. Because if he's not safe, if he dies, you're in trouble, you lose him. We've got to keep him alive. He says the enemy, God, the enemy, has guarded him from you through the first great wave of temptations. But if only he can be kept alive, you have time itself for your ally. The long, dull, monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity and middle-aged adversity are excellent campaigning weather. You see, it is hard for those creatures to persevere. If the middle years prove to be prosperous, this is even better. Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while in reality, it is finding its place in him. His increasing reputation, his widening circle of friends, his sense of importance, the growing pressures of work, they build up in him a sense of being really at home in earth, which is just what we want. You will notice that the young are generally less unwilling to die than the middle-aged and the old. See, the truth is the enemy having oddly destined these mere animals to live a life in his eternal world, has guarded them pretty effectively from the dangers of feeling at home anywhere else. That is why we must wish for our patients to live long lives. Seventy years is not a day too much for the difficult task of unraveling their souls from heaven and building up a firm attachment to earth. And so Screwtape is saying to his, his nephew, he says, listen, we need them to live as long as possible. When they're young, they're not afraid to die. But as they get older, they start to take root in this world, and this world becomes their home. He says, so great is their appetite for heaven that our best, best method at this stage of attaching them to earth is to make them believe that earth can be turned into heaven 
at some future date by politics or by prosperity or science or psychology or whatnot. This is why I love this book so much. It's just, it's such a reminder of how Satan is going after us that he wants us to convince us that this is really not that bad and we can we can make this place heaven if we if we just have enough money and we just have enough happiness that we'll forget about what God has created for us. I'm going to close out this, this last paragraph. He says, How valuable time is to us may be gauged by the fact that the enemy allows so little of it. It is obvious that to him... Human birth is important chiefly as the qualification for human death and death solely as the gate to the other kind of life. Now that was a a difficult sentence, but basically what he's saying is this. He has a desire for all of us to be eternally with him in heaven. But how do you get to heaven? How do you get to the eternal life? You have to leave this one, which means that you die. So to get to heaven, you have to die. But to die, what has to happen before that? You have to live. He says, here's the deal. Birth is important and life is important only because it leads to death. And death then really leads to what he has planned, the enemy has planned all along. And that's life eternal with him. He's saying, look at the big picture. This right here is not important. All it does is lead to something that's really important. But we've got to convince people that right here and right now is what's important. And he closes out with this. He says, whatever you do, keep your patient as safe and comfortable as possible. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. So, if nothing else, you can walk away from this place. And if anybody ever says, have you read C.S. Lewis? You can say, absolutely I did. Chapter 28 of Screwtape Letters. I got the majority of it. Right? But here's what I really want us to think about. I really want you to think about time. Just a few minutes ago, because that's what we're talking about is time. I had my daughter come up here and sit with me. And we turned off the mic, and she showed me pictures that I hadn't seen before. I said, don't show me the pictures. I don't, I, I've been watching her, and she's doing a fantastic job. I just, I love it. But I said, don't show me these pictures. I want to get to see them for the first time. And you know what that was to you? When we were sitting up there, and we were talking, and she was showing them, you know what that was to you? It was a waste of your time. It was. It doesn't help you at all. It doesn't benefit you. But guess what? Sometimes we have to do things that aren't beneficial to the people around us. We have to do things that don't help us get further along in our job. We have to do things that don't make us more money or don't make people like us more. You know, we have a phrase that a professor used years ago that I just loved. And he says, you know what? We have to become comfortable with wasting time with God. 
And when I first heard that, I was a little upset about that. You, you don't ever waste time with God. And he says, no, 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 no. We need to be comfortable with wasting time with God. Because all too often, we go to God with an agenda. We call it a prayer list. This intercessory prayer, which good-heartedly, we say, God, I want you to pray for this person, and this person, and this person, and that situation, and this, help them get well, help them find a job, help them get married, help them move out of the house. We pray for these things. We have this checklist. God, here's what I need to do. We want to be efficient. And we sometimes rate our prayer life and our spirituality, and God, based on how successful, how efficient our prayer life can be. I went to God, I asked for these things, He gave me these things, all is good. But what happens if you go to God and you say, you want to know what? This is not about what I want, or what you're going to give me. I just want to sit here with you, and be in your presence. I just want to waste time with you. I just want to be with you. You know, I, I enjoyed having Gracie up here with me. And she was so excited to show me what she had been working on. She's working on some shadings right now, and it's just, it's really neat. Right? And she was so proud to get to show me those things. Do you think that there's a pew somewhere in which God wants you to sit? In which you can come sit beside him and say, look what I'm doing. Let me just, here's what's going on in my life. And do you think God would want to sit on that pew right beside you? Do you think he would be smiling as he listened to you? as he looks at the one that he created and he loves with all of his heart, and for you to just talk about what's going on in your life. And it can be wasteful to everybody else, but to you and him, it's just that time together. See, Satan's going to try to tell you that you got to hurry. He's going to tell you that you need to be impatient. Satan's going to convince you that if the waiter doesn't show up to your table when they ought to, that if the red light takes too long, that if you're sitting there waiting for your wife to get ready to go out and you're still waiting, that you should be mad. He wants you to rush. He wants you to forget. He wants you to walk away from this seat and never spend time with God. And so I just want to close out with these questions. And I'm going to give you a little time in between each one. I know you're thinking we're, we're probably out of time now. I think we're getting there. But I want to ask you a few questions and I'm going to leave a little space. And I just, I honestly, I want you to do your best to put everything out and I want you to think about these as we close. And you don't have to do this audibly. I just want you to think about this. Is God worth your time? 
is a few years now worth an eternity with Him. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? When do you most wish for time to stand still? Will you spend time with God? When will you spend time with God? This morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to give your heart to God because it is about time.